Well, this is a great day. You know, about a year ago in April, there was a tragic fire in Paris. Notre Dame was burning. You may remember that footage. If I can take you back for just a moment with the words of Dennis Prager, the symbolism of burning of Notre Dame Cathedral, the most renowned building in Western civilization, the iconic symbol of Western Christendom is hard to miss. It is as if God himself wanted to warn us in the most unmistakable way that Western Christianity is burning, and with it, Western civilization. Every major Western and one major non-Western social and intellectual force has conspired to rid Europe of Christianity and of the civilization it produced. Within the Western world, the French Enlightenment, the intellectual basis of the French Revolution, and the modern West sought to replace Christianity and religion in general with secularism rooted in reason. No God, Bible, or Ten Commandments is necessary for morality or meaning. Reason and science will replace them. It's sobering words, isn't it? When you think about what's happening in our land, I would have been hard-pressed to have predicted prophetically or any other way what we would experience in 2020. Little did I know that a pastor just not too far from us in Thousand Oaks would face today, right now, as I speak, arrest and citations for his entire congregation for gathering. Little did I ever would, would have imagined that churches would willingly close their doors since March and refuse to stand on the First Amendment. It's a hard day to understand. It's a day that we don't criticize our fellow pastors or churches, but with hands lifted, we wonder why. We cannot stand together in this battle that we face. Maybe the handwriting is on the wall for America. We use that idiom, many know where it's found. It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter five. It happened at a time when the king of Babylon had gathered together after they had conquered Jerusalem all the golden vessels from the temple, and they filled them with the wine. They began to praise the God of gold and silver and wood and not the God of heaven. And while he was there praising with all of his nobles and all of the wealthy and rich people of that day, the influential people had gathered there in that palace, all of a sudden the finger of God reached down and began to write, on the plaster wall. It was so alarming to the king that it says that his knees began to shake. He was so alarmed that he called in all of the astrologers and all the soothsayers in his kingdom. And he said, interpret the words that are written on the wall. And try as they must, they could not. They could not understand what was being written there. Later it would be the queen who would say, there is a man in the kingdom who was in your father's kingdom who is an interpreter of dreams. His name is Daniel. Let's go back to Daniel 5 and read the account. 
The Bible says the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. This was the vision, this was the experience that the king had that brought so much alarm. When people use that phrase, that idiom, the handwriting is on the wall, if they don't know, you can remind them that it was a signal that God's judgment had come upon the land of Babylon. And I wonder today if the handwriting is not on the wall for America. It doesn't mean the towel has been thrown in. It doesn't mean that we are t- it's time to quit. It means it's time to sound the alarm and blow the trumpet in the churches of, of Jesus Christ and say it's time we get back to what's important. It's time we get back to prayer. It's time we get back to the things of God. It's time we remember the days we're living in. There are three conditions that point to this danger. Number one is cultural amnesia, and that is let's erase everything that we don't like. I've heard recently of school systems saying, let's just not teach history anymore to our children. That's what socialism did. That's what communism does. Let's erase everything and let's cancel the culture that has any other opinion, thereby canceling the Bill of Rights and our free speech as Americans. It's an odd day that we live in. George Orwell wrote in 1947 a book called 1984 in which he looked ahead nearly 50 years and said, what would it look like in the future? And these were his words. The most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their understanding of their history. If you want to take away any meaning, any patriotism, any nationalism, any sense of pride for a people, remove their history, there's nothing left. Thomas Sowell, one of the great intellectuals of our day, uh, a man that I deeply admire, said, ours may become the first civilization destroyed not by the power of our enemies, but by the ignorance of our teachers and the dangerous nonsense that they are teaching our children. In an age of artificial intelligence, they are creating artificial stupidity. The second big danger we see is economic derangement. I call that presumption. America has so long lived as a land of plenty, so long have we lived in our abundance, so long have we relied on certain indicators that all is well, that we have forgotten that we are in trouble economically as a nation. The checks that came in this recent bailout of individuals and cities and and countries uh, in many ways, um, they signaled something that was going on. You cannot give what you do not have unless it has no meaning on the back end. You cannot be a debtor nation and survive for very long unless you declare bankruptcy to the, to the world and establish a new currency. That very well could be what's happening behind the scene. Remember, there is that what's happening in front of you, and then there is what's happening behind the scene. There is that government that somehow functions apart from the will of the people. It could be prophetically that we're living in a day when the erasing of currency, we see that already, the coin shortage, the fact that money has been said to be dirty, not worthy to be held in your hand, it will replace a digital currency that will, was predicted by 
John the Apostle in the Revelation when he said there would come a day when no one could buy or sell unless they had the mark of the beast, Revelation chapter 13. And we're seeing things that are at least indicating that. Now that might seem far-fetched to someone living 10 years ago, but remember that it seems very current today, but recall that it was written in the Bible 2,000 years ago. Imagine imagine, uh, uh, someone writing and under the inspiration of God saying, there will be no currency in a land that was filled with gold and silver as their currency. There's a third danger, and that is spiritual illusion. That is deception. One of the great dangers for anyone is to believe that the gun is not loaded, that all is well in our land, that there is no clarion call that says, what will we do with this day in which we live? The enemy sneaks in at night, and he he distracts us with something going on like chaos in our cities. I tell you that is a distraction for what's really going on. You can solve riots in cities. You cannot save a republic if your eye is watching the wrong field. And I believe our eye is on the wrong field. Those forces that rise up and want to bring destruction, they are not where the power comes. The power comes behind the scene to someone who's paying those who are disrupting the cities around our world. My friend who's pastored here or preached here at our church, Pastor uh, Matthew Barnett said this in a text uh, that he put in a tweet. He said, I'm not bothered by the protest happening in LA. I'm bothered that California has decided to silence the church for nearly a half a year and celebrate Portland. Churches will start soon. We'll lose many members, calling us reckless, but we will rebuild with newer, less consumer, more resilient people. I'm already seeing it here. We're seeing people that I would say were running about half speed in their Christianity six months ago, and they're now in a full gallop. I'm seeing people that were in a full gallop six months ago that are now in a lazy chair somewhere. They've forgotten that this is a kingdom battle that we're in, that we're in a spiritual battle that demands every warrior come to the playing field, not sit back afraid of what might happen next or the criticism that we might garner because we stand for Jesus Christ. You see, God's prophet is always waiting. In the book of Daniel chapter five and verses 11 and 12, The Bible says, and this was that word, there is a man in your kingdom. Can I tell you that there is a man or a woman in the kingdom today, multiple men and women, who have a voice of clarity in this time of darkness. There is a voice that needs to be heard, and that voice will be one, it says, in whom the Spirit of the Holy God resides. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the musicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit. You see, that's the goal of every believer. Do you have an excellent spirit from the Lord in you? One that brings knowledge, One that brings understanding. How about the interpretation of dreams and solving of riddles and the explaining of enigmas? They were found in this one named Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. 
So trusted was Daniel in the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar put him over all those spiritual leaders within his kingdom. And Daniel somehow found a way to exist in that environment and influence those even for God. You remember it was wise men who came at the birth of Jesus and they'd followed a star and we've heard the word, we've heard about this, where did they hear it? If you trace their history, you trace them right back to Babylon, you trace them right back to Daniel. You see Daniel's legacy even followed him into the birth of Jesus Christ. How long and how far will your legacy, your word, your knowledge, your understanding follow you? Are you more concerned about self-preservation? Are you more concerned about the kingdom of God? You know, if you live to be 100, it'll be a great life. But remember, it's a speck of dust that hangs precariously on the edge of a bucket compared to eternity. We were not made for time. We were made for eternity. We were made for something bigger than that. In Daniel chapter five, verses 24 and 28, look at it again, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this is the writing that was written. Now Daniel is going back, and he's saying, let me tell you about the hand of God on the plaster. This is the inscription that was written. Meeny, meeny, tinkle of farson. This is the interpretation of each word. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom, and it is finished. Do you see the boldness of this prophet? He looked the king in the eye who held the power of life over Daniel and said, you're done. It was a prophetic announcement. Your kingdom is gone. Your kingdom is finished. Tinkle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Do you know that God weighs those who lead in the balances? And when it gets tipped too far, God removes that leader from power. You see, sometimes God will raise up a leader like Pharaoh, for the very purpose of motivating his people and his glory. It said of Pharaoh over Egypt, he said, I have raised him up for this very purpose, that I might display my glory. Have you ever wondered why some leaders rise and, and they stay in power and they're not good people at all? Did you ever think that maybe they were a catalyst that God was using in the life of the church to motivate them to get back to what's important? It's the only explanation when it really comes down to it. You see, the Bible says that the kings are like channels of water. They're like water in the hand of God, and he moves them in the channels where he will. Now, just imagine this scene. This, this heavenly, sovereign God has water in his hand, and he says, when I get ready to move kings, I do it like this. Never forget that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is in control. Can I get an amen? Let me try it again. God is in control. You've got to let your Christianity feel a little bit. You don't be thinking all the time. You've got to feel it once in a while, amen? And then he says, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Have you ever prayed Scripture? You just open it up and you just begin to pray scripture and say, and you, then you apply it to the situation of today. I, I suggest you take this and apply it to those politicians that aren't rising up to the standard of God. And just pray, God, I just pray, politician A, 
your, your, God has numbered your kingdom. It is finished. Why, you have been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting and your kingdom has been divided and we're gonna give it to somebody else. Amen. You know what I also know is that favor follows faithfulness. You know favor isn't fair. Right? Have you ever seen somebody get blessed? You go, well, why not me? It's not fair. You remember, those of you who have children or you remember when you were a child, remember when one of your siblings got something you didn't and you said it's not fair? Do you remember those days? It's not fair. Why, Bobby got this and Billy got that and I got nothing. Now, if the father was honest, he would say, that's right, because I have favorites. Oh, I love them all the same. No, you don't. You like some of them better than the other ones. You know you do. You know what God says in his kingdom? I have, I have favorites in the kingdom. And they're not favorites because they're smarter. They're not favorites because they're more successful. They're favorites because they follow me. There's an amazing connection between favor and faithfulness to God. When you begin to, to walk in the faithfulness of God, guess what? Favor begins to follow you. Favor goes in front of you. Favor's all around you. Thou, O Lord, art a shield all about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. That's what the psalmist said. If you want the favor of God, just say today in your heart of hearts, God, I'm gonna live faithfully for you because I want your favor. Now, sometimes the favor doesn't look the way you want it to look. You remember Joseph? Why, every time Joseph had a setback, God called it favor. I don't know about you, that doesn't look like favor to me. See, God put him in a pit. God said, that's favor. God sold him to some, some slave traders. God called it favor. God put him in jail in Egypt, favor. Joseph's going, no more favor. Hey, Amen, I got enough favor. But you see, God had a plan. God was taking Joseph somewhere. You see, when you feel setbacks, God calls it favor. Know that God is taking you somewhere. It would not be long after that that he would sit, number two, on the throne in Egypt, making decisions for an entire kingdom and that he would, God would bring back those brothers who had betrayed him and those famous words that we've used many, many times, you meant it for evil. Can you repeat it with me? But God meant it for good. You see, God will always work out things for the good that those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I heard someone the other day say, well, you know, God works out all things for the good. And I said, finish the verse. And they said, what? I said, yeah, to those who love him. God does not work out all things for the good for you if you don't love God. God will put you in a spiral downward to get you to the bottom so that you can look up and go, God, I guess I'm not God. Amen? Why, Daniel in chapter five and verse 29, that says, then Belshazzar gave the command. They clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That's favor. And guess what? The gifts he used weren't his anyway. They're the ones that God gave him. Do you know your spiritual gifts are given to you to use? You can use those gifts. 
You know, about three weeks ago, we opened this outdoor worship center, and we were able to pull that together, and thank you very much. We were able to raise the money for that in about four days, order it, put it up in four days, and now we get to use it on Sunday morning, and guess what? We get to use it on Wednesday night with our youth. And now everybody that drives by on Sunday and Wednesday says, what's going on there? We're doing church outside. We're singing praises. Everybody that comes to the post office has to listen to worship music. You thought it was about the stamps. No, it's about something much more, amen? Well, what I wanna do is I wanna show you a little clip from last Wednesday night and what, how God is working in the life of our youth. Watch the screens. His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children Children, may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. Amen and amen. Listen to the word of God, Psalm 105, verse 8. God remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Cleaned the garage the other day. I didn't like it. But for my wife, for me to do a job like that is better than bringing her flowers. She just loves to see me labor. <laughs> and I put on that Carrie Job song, The Blessing. And I listened to it for over three hours. I just put it on repeat. I just listened to it. And I thought to myself, what would it look like? How could I strategize to have a thousand generations experience the blessings of God? So easy for me to think about my children or my children's children and not think about a thousand generations into the future. I don't have the answer to the how right now, but I know it's somehow found in the now. It's found in your now. First Chronicles 16, 14 and 15. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are on all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine. Know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. There's a blessing called a song, but there's also a blessing that comes in the spiritual realm. I want you to stand with me right now, and I wanna, I wanna offer this blessing over you. May his favor be upon you. 
for a thousand generations. For your family, for your children, for their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. If you receive that blessing, would you just say, I receive it? You may not even know how that works, how that's gonna happen. It may be all new to you to hear words like that. But when you hear the blessing, it's a prophetic word that goes out and say, I receive that, I receive that. And you allow the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom on how to apply it and what to do in your own life. And you begin to think about what would it look like to be able to bless children that you will never see. Your relatives, your friends, a blessing to a thousand generations into the future. How amazing would that be? You know, the blessing begins with salvation. It begins with you. If you've not received Christ as your Savior and your Lord, it begins there. It begins by saying, I want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give my life to him. It all begins there. You can't go anywhere from there. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord, here's the promise, will be saved. Saved what? Saved from sin and positioned with God in righteousness. That means right standing with God. That means all your sins, whatever wrong you've done in your lifetime, God washes with his blood, the blood that Christ spilled at Calvary to give you eternal life, to write your name in the Lamb's book of life, to give you salvation, to give you his spirit in your soul, in your life, that you might be living with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. If, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never received Christ, can I ask you to do that right now with me? I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray with me. Whether you're here, outside, or on live stream, just pray this prayer out loud with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith, I receive you right now, Lord Jesus, into my heart. Amen. If that was your prayer, I want you to know God did exactly what God said God would do. Amen. He would save your very soul.